0: Before we start, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word in the Psalms and please speak to us this morning through it so that we may have a heart that loves you and your church and the future glory that is to come even more. In Jesus' name, amen. For some people, it's around this time of year when we get to take a break and go on a summer holiday. I don't know if you've got a some holiday planned or you would just really, really like to go on one. Perhaps you spent ages looking for the best place to go, the best deal you could find, somewhere warm and sunny and relaxing, or maybe somewhere wet and cold, a bit like Newcastle. Perhaps you've spent a lot of time thinking about what you're going to do when you get there, where's the best place to go, where's the best places to eat. You've probably thought about it more and more as the days got gotten closer. The big day comes, you get up early, bags packed the night before, off you set by train, plane or automobile. And then after the travel is complete, you arrive and open your hotel door or cabin door or tent door and get a big breath of that sea or forest or city air. That feeling of finally being there is fantastic, isn't it? I can't believe we are actually here you say to those around you. Isn't that a great feeling? The long build-up and anticipation, and now you can relax and enjoy. And in this morning's psalm, that's the way our psalmist feels about reaching his destination too. This is the third psalm in what is known as the Psalms of Ascent. Back in Psalm 120, the psalmist laments that, too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. So he sets off on a pilgrimage, but it's a hard journey and he's unsure if he's ever gonna get where he's going in Psalm 121. But now in today's psalm, he's finally got to his destination. And as we see in verses one to two, he is absolutely delighted about it. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Or you could say, our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. (sighs) I can't believe we're actually in Jerusalem, he says. This morning, we're gonna look at the two parts of this psalm and see just why he was so delighted at having arrived in Jerusalem. The first part of the psalm is all about the psalmist's vision of the beauty of Jerusalem. And the second part is all about his love for the peace of Jerusalem. First of all, then, let's think about the vision for the beauty of Jerusalem the psalmist had. Read with me verses 3 to 5. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. In terms of what Jerusalem meant to the Psalmist, it wouldn't be an understatement to say that to the Israelites, it was the most important city in the whole world. It was the place that God himself had built so that he could dwell amongst his people. It was the place where he had decreed his people should worship him. And it is the place where his appointed rulers would rule from. Looking at verse three, as the Psalmist arrives in Jerusalem, you get a sense that he is amazed by just how many of God's people are there with him. Just how many had gone to Jerusalem to give thanks to God and abound firmly together as a result. Apparently, Jerusalem at the time of David was not a very big place, perhaps just 12 to 15 acres and a few thousand permanent inhabitants. However, at the time of some of these great annual feasts, such as the Feast of Booths, I read that there could be as many as half a million pilgrims coming into the city to partake in the festivals. And the psalmist sees how wonderful it is that all of these different people from the surrounding countryside and villages and even further afield have come together to worship God, packed in to give him praise. And then in verse 4, we see what all of those people had come to Jerusalem for. They had been commanded to go to Jerusalem to give thanks to God. It wasn't just a nice suggestion to do if you fancied it, but back in Deuteronomy chapter 16, God commanded his people, three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. But why did God have to command it? When it comes to the Israelites in the Old Testament, excellent short-term memories are not generally what you would say is their strong point. Think about when God gave them escape from slavery in Egypt. It wasn't that long afterwards before they had managed to forget all about what God had given them and instead go and make a golden cow that they worshiped and gave thanks to instead. I mean, it's madness. But it's also the fallen human condition. And if we are honest with ourselves, it is the default mode of operation that we too forget the good things God has given us and done for us. So God in his wisdom commands us to give thanks to him. Not because he's some self-obsessed narcissist, but because ultimately all good things we have have actually come from him. I'm thinking about the psalmist back then. And us now. What's the connection between the psalmist longing for and vision of Jerusalem and us today, 3,000 years later? Well, at one level, we could say that the church is for us what Jerusalem was for the Israelites back then. The church is this countercultural group of people who have also been bound firmly together. As the global body of Christ, we are metaphorically packed in together. People from all nations or races or backgrounds come together in the church to worship God. The church is the place where God has firmly bound his people together. And just like the psalmist going up to Jerusalem, church is the place where we go to give thanks to God. It's true that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have access to God anywhere and anytime. We can just stop what we're doing and give thanks to him whenever we want But meeting with God's people to offer our thanks in song and worship is a special and unique way of doing this. Think of Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. But while the church as we know it starts to meet what the psalmist was longing for in relationship with other believers and in worship of God, we know that it doesn't ultimately or perfectly fulfill it. You see, Jerusalem was never meant to be the final destination of God's people, living with God under his blessing on earth. I mean, God's dwelling place was a tent when this psalm was written. Now, it's quite clear that it was just for a season that this was the arrangement of God's people. And we even see it in what Jerusalem became in Jesus' time. Remember when we see Jesus approaching Jerusalem like the psalmist? Is he delighted and excited to go and meet with God's people and give thanks to God the Father? No, he weeps over it. By this point, it is failing to live up to what it is called to be. Pride and arrogance and self-dependence have overcome the Jewish rulers at the time. And what about many churches today? Are we living out perfectly what we have been called to be as the final perfect and blemish-free bride of Christ? I think Jesus would have good grounds to weep over us as well. We often aren't living a beautiful and final fulfillment of what Jerusalem was meant to be. And that's because ultimately the church isn't the final answer, just like Jerusalem wasn't the final answer in David's day. Both the old Jerusalem with its sacrifices and tabernacle for God and the church today point forward to something even bigger and better than themselves, something that is permanent and perfect, As we see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The church is not the final answer. Yes, she is Christ's beautiful bride, but she wasn't designed to just be a group of people here on earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 says this, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The ultimate fulfillment of the longing that the psalmist had for God is met in part by the church, but it's not perfect and final. It will be perfectly and finally met in heaven, in the new Jerusalem. There, God's people will be bound firmly together for eternity, standing side by side in peace and loving each other perfectly. And even more amazingly and what should capture our hearts the way Jerusalem captured the psalmists is that we will be standing side by side with all the other believers who have ever lived and will ever live worshipping Jesus perfectly as we see him face to face in his glory. Right now we can be setting our minds towards that and encouraging and preparing each other for that day. We can be living out now what we will one day fully be in love for each other and worship of God. For example, do you come to church excited to meet with God's people, to hear God's word, and to sing God's praises together? Or is it something we do as a habit because that's what we've always done? Or a, a social club where you get a free biscuit and cup of tea after a nice sing-song? Shame you have to listen to the boring guy halfway through. What about the posture of our hearts as we come to church? Do we quiet them? and orient them towards the God who has given us all the good that we have as we begin our worship. Our attitude in general towards coming to church should be changed by this future vision of the new Jerusalem. Are we like the pilgrim, excited and anticipating being in God's presence? We should be praying for the Spirit to work in us and change the attitudes of our hearts so that we might love to worship God in the presence of his people each week with that vision of the perfected new Jerusalem firmly in our minds. But what else was it about Jerusalem that got the Psalmist so excited? Well, the second reason that the Psalmist was delighted to be in Jerusalem was that he loved the peace of Jerusalem. Read with me verses six to nine. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The psalmist delights in the peace of Jerusalem and prays for it to continue. He wants to see the great Jerusalem as a place of peace and harmony between all of the people living within her. He longs for sin, arguing, fighting, envying, and hating to be put to death and the people to live in peaceful harmony together there. And that is a great prayer for us today in the church, isn't it? When the members of the church are bound firmly together, functioning as God intended, we can be an amazing countercultural witness to the world around us. But that witness breaks down all too quickly when the peace within the church breaks down too. As the church is made up of sinful, fallen people, we can only live in peace together in God's strength and through the work of the Spirit, allowing us to forgive each other, bear with each other, and love each other. We need to continually pray that God would help us to do that in St. Joseph's, as well as the church in the wider country and world. That future peace amongst believers we talked about in the New Jerusalem should spur us on to what we are aiming for as well. When one day all of the sins, Arguments and fallouts that we have in the church here and now will be put right and we will be made perfect together as the body and bride of Christ. But there is perhaps a peace in Jerusalem that the psalmist is thinking about that goes deeper still than the peace of the people within its walls. But first, can I I just take a moment to tell you about a dream I was having recently. I dreamt I was swimming around in orange fizzy pop. But I I woke up and realized it was just a fantasy. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist a good old Ken Matthews dad's style dad joke. In fact, neither could the psalmist. You see the word Jerusalem itself gives us a hint to the deeper understanding of the peace that the psalmist had in mind. David himself gets out some of his dad jokes as he makes a play on the word Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The word shalom to the Old Testament believers was a word describing peace. It was a word to describe everything as it was supposed to be. I once heard Tim Keller talk about it as being like a tapestry where you see one side and it's just a mess of intertwined threads with no rhyme or reason and you can't tell what's going on. But when you turn it over and you see how those threads are exactly where they were meant to be and a beautiful picture has been created clear as day. That is Shalom the bringing back to as it should be of the world. And there is an ultimate sense that that bringing it back to as it should be is associated with Jerusalem. That is in the sacrifice, that the sacrifices that the pilgrims went up to offer and what they pointed forward to. The pilgrim had gone to Jerusalem for one of the annual feasts and as part of that, he would take an unblemished lamb up to the priest's as part of the sacrificial ritual, the sin of the pilgrim would be symbolically transferred to the lamb by the laying on of hands. Then the priest would take away the lamb and slaughter it. The symbol being that the price for your sins, death, has been paid. The punishment has been taken by the lamb and God's anger has been turned aside by the sacrifice. That's what the deeper level of peace meant to the psalmist. The peace that comes from Jerusalem because he has peace between himself and God, because his sin was forgiven in Jerusalem through the sacrifices of the lamb. But we know that like the old Jerusalem wasn't the ultimate destination, the sacrifice of the lamb wasn't meant to be the once and for all sacrifice that lasts for eternity. For us living this side of the cross, we have seen a perfect and eternal sacrifice made for us, a sacrifice that lasts forever and secures the future of the, church. the Lord Jesus was that perfect unblemished lamb who died to take upon himself our sin. All our evil thoughts, all our evil words, all our evil deeds, all the wrong things we've done that we shouldn't have done, all the good things we should have done that we didn't do, he has taken them all upon himself and he has gone up and been sacrificed. And that sin that once blocked the peace between God and us has been removed The uncleanness that creates a barrier to peace with God was washed away. The anger of God towards sin was poured out on him and now we have shalom with God, everything the way it should be. And it is that shalom with God that Jesus has won for us that ensures we as a church will one day become the new Jerusalem. It is that perfect peace that we will one day revel and rejoice in. David the Psalmist lived a life close to God. He was even commended for having the heart of God. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, we saw how he he was absolutely delighted to be there to give thanks to God and sing his praises. How much more should we be delighted now that we know our future in the new Jerusalem is secure through Jesus. Peace with God that lasts forever. That should put a massive smile on our faces every time we walk through the door of the church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the peace that you have given us between yourself and us through Jesus' death and resurrection. Please help us to live rightly in light of that as your bride and glorify your name in all we do as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.